This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, around the country, around the world. We've got a big hour coming your way. Congressman Michael Waltz is here. Stunning news. It kind of surprised me, but in retrospect, it shouldn't have. And we're talking about boycotting the Olympics again with China. I mean, how do you just put a million-plus Muslims into a concentration camp and want to play sports? It doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Why does China even have it? I don't know. A lot of money. That's probably the answer. And then we're going to talk to... Uh, we're going to talk to... Jamie Metzl, he's senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, uh, and he has a view on Wuhan and that lab and where this whole thing started because he lived there for a while. He has a lot of respect on both sides of the aisle. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The key here is to have a diverse energy sources. But the most important thing to have is a base load that you can count on. That's going to be natural gas, that's going to be coal, and that is going to be nuclear. Uh, That is uh, the former energy secretary and former governor of Texas. Seventy percent of the country has been hit by, um, become a frozen tundra, and we have to find a way to be able to give people heat, especially in Texas. Uh, We'll talk about green goals, killing jobs, people, and the economy. Case in point, South Dakota when it comes to the pipeline, and Texas when it comes to uh, where heat is generated. Number two. So when do you think that would be K through eight, at I least think we'll five be, days a week? I possible? think we'll be close to that at the end of the first hundred days. You'd have a significant percentage of them being able to be opened. My my guess is they're going to probably be pushing to open all for all summer to continue like it's a different semester. Uh, I would not mind that. I know some teachers are going to be upset by that and some students, but we're all in a strange situation Kids going to have to go to extra school as we get a hold of this pandemic. Parents, not party politics. Fuel a push for one thing, reopening schools. And Joe Biden calls out his own White House communication team for changing what he says were his hard and fast rules when it comes to opening up schools. The state of the quest to save our students next. Number one. Mitch McConnell working with Donald Trump did a hell of a job. They're now at each other's throat. I'm more worried about 2022 than I've ever been. I don't want to eat our own. My beef is that we need to knock this off. No kidding. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham speaking and making sense. The Trump obsession. Over a month since he left office, the Dems keep boarding the Trump train to degrade him and distract you. This is 45. uh, 45 takes aim at his party critics, which is bad news for success-minded Republicans like Lindsey Graham and maybe you. A house divided will keep... The election's blue in this case. So we'll talk about that. Uh, So what I'm basically referring to is Donald Trump, uh, a page and a half, not a tweet, uh, not an email, uh, a statement on Mitch McConnell. He just opened up fire. Now, as you know, McConnell did not vote to impeach the president, but ripped the president and basically uh, personally and opened up uh, the opportunity maybe for his enemies to sue him over January 6th. 
He's obviously very mad that the president did not do enough to win the Georgia election. I think he's got a point there. Uh, January 6th was a bad idea. I'm not going to say it again, but you know that. Meanwhile, he said this, Trump did in a statement on McConnell. The Republican Party can never again be respected or be strong with political leaders like Mitch McConnell. Uh, McConnell's dedication to business as usual, status quo politics, together with his lack of political insight, wisdom, skill, and personality, has rapidly driven him from the majority leader to minority leader. And would only get worse, the Democrats and Chuck Schumer play McConnell like a fiddle. They never had it so good. They never want to keep it that they want to keep it that way. We know America first agenda is a winner, not McConnell's beltway first agenda or uh, Biden's America's last agenda. Pretty bad, right? What did I say on Monday? I said that the Republicans' only shot is to get back the House and Senate and do it in 2022. Senate will be harder. House won't be. They've already got uh, gerrymandered districts being able to to redraw some lines, and they're within 10. So you got to think that they're, they're poised to make Nancy Pelosi put her right into retirement. And then in one seat away, one seat away from taking back the Senate. And you got to think that can happen. I think Purdue's going to run again. Uh, I think there's some vulnerable uh, Democrats out there. It is definitely possible, but not the way they are attacking each other. Now, Lindsey Graham knows this. Cut to Mitch McConnell working with Donald Trump did a hell of a job. They're now at each other's throat. I'm more worried about 2022 than I've ever been. I don't want to eat our own. President Trump is the most consequential Republican in the party. If Mitch McConnell doesn't understand that, he's missing a lot. But my beef is not with Mitch McConnell because he has the same policy views I do. My beef is that we need to knock this off. And he talked about Trump being the most powerful Republican. But Trump voters cannot win elections only. You need to get moderate voters, dare I say Democrat, moderate Democrat voters who see some of these policies all about agenda, not what's good for you. It's going to not be going in the long run going to benefit you to get to double the minimum wage. In the long run, it's not going to benefit to immediately convert our economy to a green economy. It is not going to be great to gut our military or make it so politically correct we can't fight. That is pretty known. So how do you do it? What you do is say, hey, I know you guys don't get along. I know Liz Cheney. I know you're not getting along with uh, Trump. Trump, I know you're not getting along with McConnell. Uh, Jordan, I know you don't get along with Liz Cheney. Tough. Suck it up. Because you got to find a way to win. Every locker room. You're going to tell me every one of the Bucks likes each other. Every one of the Chiefs likes each other. Every one of the Yankees likes each other. Every one of the, uh, the, the, the Rays like each other in Tampa. Absolutely not. But what's your goal? To win especially because this is no moderate administration. This is a radical administration. It is flying way to the left. So Donald Trump is probably going to get on parlor soon. It looks like parlor is back up and running. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's a way out. Because the one thing about President Trump, which I never understood, what about the next day? If you blow up X, Y, and Z, what about the next day? And I'm sure it's going to be Nikki Haley next. Because she came out and said the president let everybody down. His policies were great, like working for him. But what happened after the election, he let everybody down. And you know that what that means, Trump's going to fire back. So I want you to hear what Britt Hume said, which I actually don't think is possible because Donald Trump is not leaving. But listen, cut four. The challenge the GOP has is to is to uh, move away from Trump without alienating his supporters. I think most Republican politicians, or at least many of them, have concluded that they cannot win a national election with Trump. He lost the last one, and then he damaged his reputation terribly with his conduct after the election. So he's damaged. 
Um, but he, he retains a significant following within the party. So they're, what, they, what they're trying to do, I think, is to try to see if they can hang on to his voters without hanging on to him. That isn't easy to do. True. So a British right, but he's not going anywhere. I think Trump is recalibrating. Evidently, Brad Parscale went and met with him at Mar-a-Lago, and he is uh, the social media brain trust, a really forward thinker, innovative thinker who seemed to have lost his way. Some doubt during the election. I don't know the whole story. I will get to the bottom of it, but it seems as he's reconvened with the president. We know we, uh, Ivanka, uh, Don Jr., and Eric. And one thing I hear from sources is there's no doubt about it. The president's got to get some money, and he's got to get his organization making money. He's got some legal problems, and that's going to set him back perhaps. We don't know. So nothing's really emerged yet except for one thing is clear. I believe the Democrats want Trump front and center. They were suing him now civilly for January 6th. They're saying it was race-related. They're bringing up Ku Klux Klan laws against the president and Rudy Giuliani. And by the way, he seems to have broken with Rudy Giuliani four years too late. But the media obsession with Trump is ridiculous. And they're doing it for to get a pressure and focus off of Joe Biden, who is not a good speaker. He, he is not conversant on the issues. And they don't want to talk about his unpopular but agenda-driven executive orders. Case in point, cut one. There are still other paths to hold former President Trump accountable. This morning, we will look into possible criminal and civil charges, what those could be. Trump is not going away quietly. The former president going after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Former President Trump coming out swinging at Mitch McConnell after the Senate's top Republican said Trump was morally responsible for the Capitol riot. New video of the assault on the Capitol, showing the fight between police and the mob. Tonight, the first lawsuit filed against former President Trump, Rudy Giuliani, the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, accusing them of conspiring in the lead-up to the January 6th riot. While former President Trump was acquitted of inciting the insurrection, he could still face lots of legal trouble. Trump, again. I mean, will we bring, we weren't even bringing up Barack Obama. Obviously, first uh, black president, very popular, 60% approval rating. Nobody was even talking about Barack Obama for three years until he started campaigning again. But then in comes the civil lawsuits, the lawsuit from Bernie Thompson, uh, Benny Thompson, rather, as part of an expected wave of litigation on the January 6th riots. They're also doing a 9-11-like commission on this. They seek, uh, evidently, does Thompson, punitive and compensatory damages, even though he hasn't been damaged. He also names Rudy Giuliani, his former attorney, and the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, those extremist organizations. They put them all in one. President's never met with the Oath Keepers, never met with the Proud Boys. But what he did is he didn't disassociate and say that these guys are abhorrent. He said it a couple of times. But for the most part, they support the president, so he just kept his mouth shut about it. Just like we have not heard Joe Biden say anything negative about Antifa, even though they burned down almost every major city. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Michael Waltz. Uh, Michael Waltz has got a special announcement. Uh, the congressman, former Green Beret, is in an interesting spot. Great friends with the Cheney family, work for Dick Cheney, and also tight with the president. And then Jamie Metzl on the truth behind the Wuhan lab. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, don't go anywhere. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory— 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50%, open uh, by day 100 uh, of his presidency. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms. So at least one day a week, hopefully it's more. Uh, That is Jen Psaki. She said that a bunch of times last week, and people were outraged by it. You're kidding me. What kind of goal is that? One day a week in a hybrid setting, 50% of the country. So last night, Joe Biden was asked about it in a town hall. You would think they'd correct this right away, but listen. Your administration had set a goal to open the majority of schools in your first 100 days. You're now saying that means those schools may only be open for at least one day a week. No, that's not true. That's what was reported. Uh That's not true. It was a mistake in the communication. But what I'm talking about is I said opening the majority of schools in K through 8th grade because they're the easiest to open, the most needed to be open in terms of the impact on children and families having to stay home. How could you not correct that right away if it's your goal? It was reported, not misreported. It was misreported because it was miscommunicated. Joining us now, Michael Waltz, uh, congressman from Florida. Uh, congressman, welcome back. Uh, first off, everybody yeah, makes thanks, mistakes Brent. in communication. No big deal. Why did you take your time six days later in a town hall setting? Maybe it'll come up yeah. in a question, then you correct it? Yeah, it wasn't misreported. That's what she said, right? And she was then correcting or trying to explain what Biden had said on the campaign, right? So so we're now gone through, you know, what, two or three evolutions of this? Uh, we'll see what they say on, uh, you know, at day 100. But look, uh, in Florida, all of the schools, not just K through eight, high school included, have been open since August. And we give families the choice. You either go in person or you do hybrid. Or if you perhaps have someone that's compromised at home, then you can do virtual. But we let families make that choice, not Washington, D.C., or not some some school ad- administrator and not and certainly not the teachers unions. And the other thing, Brian, you know, uh, 
So if you're 15 and you're in ninth grade, then you're going to be sitting at home virtually forever. And the piece that never gets discussed is the class warfare that's going on. If you're rich enough to send your kids to private school, you can. If you're a white collar worker, then you can work from home over the Internet with your kids. But if you're a truck driver or a waitress or a a construction worker, and I guess in Biden's world, if you have a ninth grader or a 10th grader, then you're just hosed for the foreseeable future. Uh, it's, it really, really fires me up because it's just not fair and it's not following the science. Uh, and it, you know, it's sending these kids further and further behind. And the big winner in all of this, I'll say it every time, is the Chinese Communist Party uh, that has uh, ruined our economy. We're driving ourselves further in debt, and our kids are falling further behind because of the, the virus they unleashed on the world. So I was talking to my congressman, no question about it. And by the way, just on the schools, New York Times headline, Republicans seize on shuttered schools as a political rallying cry. Really? Is it a political rallying cry or we listen to parents? Political, worse. GOP tries to weaponize pandemic exhausted parents against Biden. Tries to as if it's have to manipulate them. Yeah. If they're all yeah. drones waiting to find out what Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump or Liz Cheney want them to know. Yeah, as though as though I woke them up to the fact uh, that their kids are sitting home miserable, depressed, not with their friends, and falling behind. And, you know, I mean, I sat with my daughter the other day. The teachers weren't even bothering to teach over the computer. They were just telling them to watch a video. So uh, as though we have to wake them up to this misery, yeah, it, it's just the ridiculous and why no one respects mainstream media anymore. But that's just it. Uh, President Trump was right out of the money. OK, we understand this is bad. We've got to open up our country again. we got to get these kids back in school again. And if you look in Florida, you look in Texas, you look in places where it's working, uh, people are appreciative. And, and, and it, it, it's painful. And moving. Yeah, and they got to wear masks and they and hate it. with their feet. And they don't. And they don't. Yeah, True. They are moving, and they don't get to use their lockers. They get it. You know, some of their season's been delayed, but they have not been denied in a lot of places. And people are appreciating those governments, those states, they're doing it. You don't need to see a 30-second ad. Now, there's something. You made big news this week. uh, And I know um, as a Green Beret guy, you're extremely athletic. I also know you're a big sports fan. But you came out and said, when it comes to the Beijing Olympics, as we revisit that communist country to bring the World Games there, you say right now we should back out. We should boycott the Olympics. Why? Well, you know, actually what the resolution says is that the, the game should be moved. Uh, Senator Rick Scott and Newt Gingrich has mentioned this, and others have been demanding the International Olympic Committee move the games out of Beijing. And they've been asking for the last couple of years. What I'm saying is enough is enough. If the IOC won't move the games, I can't see how we in good conscience send our athletes there Given the two million people that are dead around the world, the Chinese Communist Party covered up the coronavirus, still refused to share the data. And, and, and the other point is, is, Brian, there is an active, ongoing genocide going on as we speak in western China. People on their knees getting loaded onto rail cars, getting their uh, heads shaved. It sounds really familiar to 1930 and 1940s. Uh, and active, ongoing Uh, campaign of rape, of forced sterilization of women, of slave labor. Uh, I I don't see how we then reward the Chinese Communist Party with the games uh, in Beijing. They need to be moved, and if they're not moved, we need to boycott. How Uh, much support do you have, Congressman? 
but I don't uh, – well, uh, the support is growing. I'm talking to a lot of Democrats who completely agree. Uh, the administration needs to walk the walk when it comes to human rights. You know, and, and the other thing, Brian, is 180 international human rights organizations have called for the same thing. We also need to call out NBC, Apple, uh, Nike, and others uh, who are benefiting from this slave labor, who will make billions on uh, the endorsements from these games. Social justice doesn't just apply to the United States. It applies worldwide. And, Congressman, can't thank you enough. It's it's an intriguing initiative. Hopefully it'll it'll, uh, spur some change. Congressman Michael Waltz, thank you. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right. uh, Coming up next, uh, what happened at the Wuhan lab? A guy that knows. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think they went into the Institute of Virology in Wuhan and had a cup of coffee and a couple of donuts, and they were told nothing to see here. And they're like, okay, we're going to leave. China needs to be forthright. They need to finally provide answers about the beginning of this pandemic. That is Tom Cotton, who was the first one to say, stop the fights from China. This pandemic is worse than anybody knows. And why is that Wuhan lab right in the center of this? Why are we not examining that Wuhan uh, bio lab to see if any of this stuff that we now know as the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus, Came from that lab. Was it an accident or was it weaponized? These are legitimate questions, and it's not uh, evaded the thought pattern of my next guest. His name is Jamie Metzl, senior fellow of the Atlantic Council and One Shared World founder. Uh, Jamie, welcome back. Thanks so much, Brian. Happy to be here. Jamie, tell everyone in the audience why you know so much about China. Well, I've been studying China for decades. I have a Ph.D. in Asian history. And like everybody, I recognize that the world of the 21st century is going to be in many ways defined uh, in parts by China, but in part by how we uh, relate to China, how we interact with China. And I see some worrying signs, and I think we all need to be aware of the good things that are happening in China. But there's a lot of uh, bad things that we also need to be very mindful of. Right. First off, uh, you do you need to know, like everybody listening right now, how this virus started, and where how where where, is it, where did it originate, and how was it originated? Because we've got to stop the next one and this one, but we never found out what we needed to. And, and yeah. how frustrated are you? Well, I'm really frustrated, Brian. As you know, for more than a year since the the beginning of last year, 2020. I've been saying very publicly we need to understand where the pandemic began um, because it's like when a plane crashes. You don't say, well, that's too bad, a plane crashed. Let's focus on airline security. You say, let's find out why this plane crashed because that will identify something that we know is a really big threat. And so early last year, I said, hey, we need to look very, very seriously at the possibility, I think likelihood, um, that that COVID-19 began with an accidental lab leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And that's because, of, you know, of all the gin joints in all the towns in the world, we have this outbreak that begins not where there are these bats, but where there's the only level four virology institute in all of China that happens to be studying these exact bat coronaviruses. It could be coincidence, but the, the odds are right. that it's not. So you are a supporter of the WHO, but and you do respect the, the head of the WHO, but you do also say 
Uh, they have to get in there. Since when does China have veto power on who investigates a lab accident that's killed hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people around the world and destroyed economies, including our own? And you also call for the resignation of an American representative, Peter Danzig, because yeah. of what reason? So um, let me take those one at a time. I'm a big supporter of the WHO. I'm myself an advisor to, to the WHO. But like anything, um, when you support something, it doesn't mean you need to blindly say everything that they do is good. Some things all of us do are good and, and some are bad. And so the WHO hasn't been able to respond as quickly or as effectively to COVID-19 as we would have liked. It hasn't been able to do a full investigation of China and, uh, and the origins of COVID as well as we would like. We also need to recognize that we, the countries of the world, including the United States, we created the WHO with the structure that it has, with all of the limitations that it has. It only controls 20% of its own budget. It doesn't have the authority to say, hey, China, we're going to send an investigation team to your country, and we're going to look where we need to look. And so that's, a, that's partly on us, and it's partly on them, on them and they certainly can and, and I believe should do better. And, but for this investigation, as you know, Brian, um, there was a uh, WHO investigation team of outside experts who visited uh, China. They reported out um, last, uh, last Tuesday um, and this committee, uh, it, was, it was formed around the negotiated terms of reference, um, and sorry to get a little technical, uh, between, uh, between China and the WHO. And <clears throat> according to those terms, China had veto power over who got to be an investigator. Uh, and the investigators didn't have the ability to do the kind of in-depth forensic investigation that we needed. They were essentially relying on the Chinese to do that. So one of the members of this group is a guy named Peter Dazak, who, for those of us in this world of science and virology, he's somebody who a lot of us have a, a great respect for, but he was, through his organization, EcoHealth Alliance, with support from uh, the United States government, one of the funders of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, supporting the gain-of-function research that I think very likely has something to do with the origins of COVID. So whether you think that's good or bad, Certainly, in my view, he should not be part of this investigation committee, and that's why I've publicly called for his removal. Yeah, I mean, when we went back into the WHO, we could have said, hey, we want to go back here under these circumstances or with this criteria or with these situation addressed. But instead, we just went right back in, and China now has even more power from since we left. So we need to get some answers to this. Boris Johnson, and maybe we'll pull up that sound, on Sunday was the first world leader I really heard express outrage of late and almost to the way he was almost part of the American right. Listen to Boris Johnson, the U.K. prime minister. One of the things we'll be uh, calling for in the, the G7 is a global coordination in uh, getting to the bottom of what happens with these diseases. So when you have a zoonotic uh, plague, 
uh, like coronavirus, we need to know exactly how it happened. Now, indeed, if it's, if it's zoonotic, if it really originated uh, from uh, human contact with uh, the animal kingdom. That's what is asserted. But we need to know exactly what happened. Was it in a, in a wet market? Did it come from uh, the bats? Were the bats associated with the, the pangolins? All these questions are now matters of uh, speculation. Uh, we need to see the data. We need to see all the evidence. So I, I thoroughly support what President Biden has said about that. Yeah, I mean, we need to see all of it. So he expressed outrage. His whole country is locked down again, yet even though they got the vaccine everywhere. So you could argue that they've been as devastated as any Western economy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it was very interesting, though, what he said. First, he said he supported President Biden because President Biden had put out a strong statement over the weekend saying uh, China needs to release all of the primary data, which it didn't. Uh, And second, uh, Jake Sullivan, the current U.S. National Security Advisor, He put out a strong statement on Saturday expressing his deep concern um, over uh, China's obfuscation. And then interestingly, though, when Boris Johnson, just in that in that clip you played, when he was talking about the possibilities, he didn't mention the possibility of a lab leak. And and that's I think it's, it's a little worrying because for all of us. Yes, there's a lot of a lot of people who say, well, China is a big, important economy. Um, We don't want to cause trouble. We don't want to point fingers. But we have 2.4 million people who are dead. We have to just be fearless in saying, well, let's get to the right answer. And that's not just for us. That's for everybody. And maybe it's still an open question. Could it have possibly happened um, through what he called zoonotic jump, which is um, from in, uh, animal to animal uh, host and eventually to humans, it's possible after a year there is no evidence of that. Could it have been a laboratory leak? I think that's extremely likely. I outline the evidence uh, for that on my jamiemetzel.com blog and, and website, and I have about 40 pages of content. I think it's pretty convincing, but I encourage your listeners to go and, and judge for themselves. But this is really serious. We have to get to the bottom of this. So, Jamie, just for the for the layman, you're the expert, but I've been told the CDC thought they were getting ready for a SARS virus. And instead, we got hit by a, a virus that had asymptomatic spread from human to human contact. That wasn't even clear when it hit our shores just about a year, I mean, over a year ago. Well, we knew it was a SARS virus. I mean, that's one of the concerning things is that this SARS-CoV-2 is so closely related to the first SARS virus. But it's uh, but it is more, as you mentioned correctly, it's more spreadable. And that and this asymptomatic spread. You right now, for example, we have another outbreak of Ebola in Guinea. So Ebola is terrible, but it's not spreading silently. When you have Ebola. You know it. Um, and and it's, it's easier, as terrible as that is, it's easier to contain. This is this um, SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus. It's almost like from the virus's perspective, a, a sweet spot. It's it's uh, spreadable asymptomatically. It's deadly enough to be devastating, but not so deadly like Ebola that it burns itself out. And so, yes, something like this could happen in nature, um, but especially given the, the genetic fingerprint of the virus itself, um, it's easy um, to imagine at least possibilities of how this could have been generated with exactly the kind of research that was being carried out at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, meaning 
you find a, 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 a target virus, and then you use these gain-of-function research techniques, which are essentially pushing the evolutionary process forward. It's just like we selected dogs to turn wolves into dogs by selecting four traits, and then exposing those virus viruses to mice who'd been genetically modified to have the same what's called ACE2 receptor on their genomes, the docking port where the virus and the, and the genome connect. So did, do I know that that's the origin story of the coronavirus? I don't. But it certainly seems possible or even likely, and it absolutely seems worthy of the most thorough of investigations. Absolutely. And the fact is, you, you thought it was very interesting that Boris Johnson didn't come out and just say that. It could have been a lab accident uh, because yep. he fears repercussions of it. You can't fear these people. And if you do make a mistake and if a virus does come from your country, show how sincere you are in stopping it by letting everybody in. So because yeah, if no, you just, just let everybody in, you just go, g- yeah, give me your best scientists. That's exactly. Countries make mistakes. I worked in the White House on the National uh, Security Council during the Yugoslav war where the United States accidentally bombed the Chinese embassy in Belgrade. It was terrible. Um, we admitted the response. We actually paid money to the, um, uh, to the victims. And countries make mistakes. Union Carbide, a, a company, made a terrible mistake in, in Bhopal, India. So let's just say hypothetically um, that the origin of COVID is an accidental lab leak. And let's, if that's the case, I'm willing to grant that they weren't trying to most, almost certainly create a bioweapon. They were trying to get ahead of this cycle of pandemics and responses by maybe developing vaccines and treatments and, and things like that. But after that, to do, if that is true, uh, to do such a thorough cover-up for more than a year in which they've destroyed samples, uh, removed uh, records, imprisoned citizen journalists, uh, put a gag order on scientists for publishing or speaking out on all of this, that is is really just um, inexcusable. And I can understand why they would do it, but we shouldn't play along. I just want to hear what Dr. Scott Gottlieb weighed, because this is the second official to weigh in on the origin virus. What is it that China still has here that we need to know? A lot of data. Well, first of all, they have antibody testing on the people who worked in that Wuhan lab. They didn't make that available. So you'd want to know if they have antibodies to the coronavirus. That would be an indication that maybe they, they got infected. Now, those antibodies will, will wane over time, but you at least want to look at that data. We want to see sequencing data on retained samples from people who were admitted to the hospital in October and November with viral syndromes that looked like COVID to see if this infection was spreading earlier and try mm-hmm. to get closer to the source of the initial outbreak. That data is certainly available. The Chinese have that. How would that help? It would help enormously. Um, China has a lot of information that it's not sharing. So let's just say, so we already know that that, that SARS-CoV-2 was prevalent in China by December of 2019. And so when we do the analysis, uh, the the, the viruses mutate at a roughly stable um, uh, rate. And so you can kind of figure out how long a, vi- a virus has been in circulation. So right now it's looking like October, November 2019 was when the virus emerged. If we had much more access to samples and sequencing data of people who had flu-like symptoms in, in the Wuhan Institute of Virology and elsewhere, we could begin to unlock this puzzle of where COVID began. And so it's deeply concerning 
that they're not sharing that information because these are really smart people. If they felt that sharing the information was going to get them off the hook, right. they would have shared it. And Jamie, you're not coming. You're not even talking politics. You just spoke to us for 10, 12 minutes. You're not talking politics. You didn't bring up president of 45 or 46. We got to get the answer yeah. to this because it's, it's really destroyed the whole planet. It's destroyed. It, everybody listening to us right now has been affected, and the people that did it aren't honest about it. And that's the fundamentals of this, and that's where I hear the urgency in your voice. Uh, Jamie, yeah. thanks so much. Appreciate it. And if where do we My get pleasure. this paper that you put together on this? Yeah, so I'll send it. You can tweet it out. I'll, I'll send it to your, your production team, but it's on jamiemetzel.com on my website in the blog section. It's called The Origins of SARS-CoV-2. It's everything you'd ever wanted to know okay. about where this virus may have come from. Um, okay, Jamie, and it's M-E-T-Z-L. Jamie, thanks so much. Right. My pleasure, Brian. Anytime. You got it. one 408 7669 We gave you a lot, so uh, join us. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I had been in the Oval Office a hundred times as vice president, more, more than that, um, every morning uh, for the initial meetings. But I had never been up in the residence. And one of the things that I don't know about you all, but I was raised in a way that you didn't look for anybody to wait on you. Um, and... It's uh, where I find myself extremely self-conscious. They're wonderful people work at the White House. But someone, you know, standing there and, you know, making sure uh, hands me my suit coat or... You, you'd never been in the residence of the White House? I, I, I'd only been upstairs in the, in the yellow room, you know, the, 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 the oval upstairs. I don't know. I've never been there either. But no. <laughs> and, uh... It's bizarre. I mean, considering I thought he was so tight with Barack. Barack. Who didn't want him to run for president? Joe, you don't have to do this. Really? Uh, never underestimate Joe Biden's ability to screw something up. Now I know how he really feels. You never got up to the residence? I got up to the residence twice, two or three times. How does that make sense? With two separate presidents. I think it was a, like a standard tour. Come on, maybe he man. Should just, <laughs> maybe he should just got online. He would at least know where everything was. So, oh, look, that's a human thing he does. He's... Uh, I think that one of the best things I've ever seen Joe Biden do was on The View when Meghan McCain was talking about her dad and his struggles with the with the brain cancer and his horrible uh, and his fight to the end. And you could see she was getting emotional and she, he was very tight with John McCain and he just got up off the couch and he walked over to her. I mean, that's Joe Biden. But also the problem is he's president. And I am just not convinced that these ideas are in our best interest. He's not even running as the moderate he said. He's not bringing, running as the unifier he claims. And I think we're going to be in trouble with this. A lot of trouble. Which is unbelievable if you're a Republican and you see Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump in a death match. And you got to win 10 seats in the House and just one in the Senate and hold yours. That doesn't make you feel good right now. Look at Joe Biden. That might be something to unify you. Possibly. Say, we got to stop this. 
Now, Brian Kilmeade. The mistakes I make are mistakes. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Kind of exciting day, I guess, if you're at NASA. They're going to talk about their Mars mission mission sometime at 3 o'clock today and a little bit earlier. By the way, uh, in case you think, well, we don't need to spend on that, China is there already. So they're already hovering around in the orbit of Mars, and they're actually looking for real estate on the moon. I did a special on NASA last year, uh, and you just wait until they decide to nationalize half the moon, uh, and then we're going to say, how did that happen? Uh, meanwhile, we're the only ones who have landed. We're supposed to go back there, I think, next year. Uh, meanwhile, crippling uh, Arctic blast continues to wreak havoc. Hopefully you have some power and you're able to listen to us. I know you've been blanketed by snow, especially in Texas. Uh, Twelve people have lost their lives. Many uh, millions do not have power. A second storm has begun taking shape, I understand, uh, already. So we'll see how that's going to hit the Northeast, where we're supposed to get buried by snow again. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The key here is to have a diverse energy sources. But the most important thing to have is a base load that you can count on. That's going to be natural gas. That's going to be coal. And that is going to be nuclear. Right. Uh, we don't seem to be very interested in that, even though we're the best at it. Green goals, killing jobs, people, and the economy. Case in point, South Dakota and a frozen Texas. Number two. So when do you think that would be K through eight, at I least think we'll five be, days a week? I possible? think we'll be close to that at the end of the first hundred days. We'd have a significant percentage of them being able to be opened. My, my guess is they're going to probably be pushing to open all for all summer to continue like it's a different semester. Okay, I think he just told all the kids to give up their July in some halting way. Parents, not party politics, fuel push for one thing, reopening up schools, and Joe Biden calls out the White House for miscommunicating his back-to-school goals. The state of the quest to save our students next. Number one. Mitch McConnell working with Donald Trump did a hell of a job. They're now at each other's throat. I'm more worried about 2022 than I've ever been. I don't want to eat our own. My beef is that we need to knock this off. No kidding. Senator Lindsey Graham just wants to win. Trump obsession. Over a month since you left office, the Dems keep boarding the Trump train to degrade and distract you. This is 45 takes aim at the party critics, which is bad news for success-minded Republicans. A House divided will lose elections. Uh, Governor Christie, uh, always great to have you on. Welcome back. Happy to be back, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, great job on Sunday. You're making the more sense than anybody else on Sunday shows. I hope Chris Wallace is not listening. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but Governor, Lindsey Graham's got a legitimate worry, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And listen, I never heard the president, uh, Trump, saying those things um, when Lindsey Graham was getting all those record number of judges appointed um, through the Senate. Um, three United States Supreme Court justices under really difficult circumstances. Let's remember, it was Mitch McConnell who forced through Gorsuch um, by changing the rules. It was Mitch McConnell who stood with the president by Brett Kavanaugh. 
despite all the, the, the horrible character assassination done by the Democrats unjustly against Justice Kavanaugh. And then Mitch McConnell, who put through the fastest Senate confirmation ever in getting Justice Coney Barrett through. So I think it's I think it's unfair to go and attack Senator McConnell now. But more importantly, both of them have to put first and foremost taking back the House in 2022 and taking yep. back the Senate in 2022. That's got to be the first priority. Everyone's got to put the party first, not their own individual gripes. So here you go. Uh, and I'll talk about the wisdom of Mitch McConnell venting his spleen after voting to not impeach the president. But the president's response is this. It goes on and on. But here's a, an excerpt. The Republican Party can never again be respected or be strong with political leaders like Mitch McConnell at the helm. McConnell's dedication to business as usual, status quo politics, together with his lack of political insight, wisdom, skill, and personality, has rapidly driven him from majority leader to minority leader and will only get worse. The Democrats and Chuck Schumer play McConnell like a fiddle. Uh, I assume by your opening remarks you don't agree. I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's helpful for the president to be saying those things um, at all. Now, listen, Mitch McConnell as I just chronicled for you, got a lot of things done for the president that the president wanted to get done through a very closely divided Senate. Now, everyone knew that in 2020, it was a very difficult map for the Republicans. I think they did a great job together until Georgia came. And when Georgia came, I mean, listen, we had a great night up until Georgia. And then when Georgia came, two seats that we should have won, um, everyone was spending more time worrying about themselves than they were worrying about Kelly Loeffler or David Perdue. The president went down there and spoke an inordinate amount of time about how the election was stolen from him and made people believe that voting didn't matter anymore because it was all fraudulent. And Mitch McConnell was just focused on trying to keep his majority. You know, they didn't serve any they didn't serve those two candidates well. And those candidates deserved better than what they got. So let's knock it off and let's work together to get back the House and the Senate. I know. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, we see it, especially in sports. You don't love everyone in the locker room, but what's your goal? Did everybody in the Tampa Bay Bucks love each other? Have they the Kansas City Chiefs? Did that? Do they mean they speak from the same hymn sheet? They're all from different walks of life. The goal was to win, and it's so obvious. And in in your workplace, people listening to us right now in their workplace, do you love your vice president? Do you love your supervisor? Probably not. But what do you want to do? You want to earn a living. You want to make your company better. You want to have a good, secure future. So you tolerate it. You learn to adapt. I don't know why uh, politicians don't understand that. Meanwhile, if you want to talk about the power of Donald Trump, it is still there. Richard Burr of North Carolina, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana have been censored by their state parties. Activists are demanding similar action against Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. Uh, Many of the 10 Republican House members who voted to impeach Trump are getting big backlash. So the power is still there, uh, Governor Christie. Well, let's remember something, too. One of the things that the Trump organization did very effectively um, during their time in the White House, and this was led you know, by Bill Stepien, who was the political director and ultimately the president's campaign manager, who ran both of my campaigns for governor in New Jersey, um, was to make sure they had people at the state party leadership level and at the national committee who were going to be very loyal to Donald Trump. And I think a lot of what you're seeing here is a reflection of the groundwork that they laid. Now, the question is, what are we going to use that for? Are we going to use it for retribution? Or are we going to use it against the Democrats in order to stop wrongheaded liberal policies? 
So my argument is not with, you know, whatever these these folks at the state party level want to do, they have a right to do it. But what are they accomplishing? You know, who's the enemy here? If we're just going to have retribution by President Trump against those who didn't support him every time. And let's remember something. Let's look back at Cassidy's voting record, at at, uh, at the voting record of Toomey, the voting record of Susan Collins and others. They voted with the president 90 plus percent of the time. So, you know, this is this is the problem. We cannot be a party of one person. We have to be a party of ideas and a party that stands up. And we're seeing right now, Brian, boy, what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and this Democratic Congress are going to do to this country in terms of spending, in terms of of the liberal policies that they're going up and down on, um, I, you know, that's what I'm focused on stopping. And let's stop worrying about whose feelings are hurt and who we have to get revenge against. And I, that's my biggest complaint with President Trump right now. He, from that statement yesterday, obviously seemed focused on revenge. He should be focused on trying to preserve his legacy, which is a good one. Uh, from a policy perspective. That's what we should be trying to do. Absolutely. Our, our country's been affected already by these executive orders and the direction, uh, and we don't even have an international crisis, which seems to happen, uh, obviously, uh, and we have dropped the ball on that because we're too busy fighting with each other and impeaching everybody. So, Governor, what role do you see yourself playing? You know Donald Trump. You've been very honest about your disappointment, the way he's acted since November 3rd. Um, you tried to help on January 6th. You could not get him on the phone. You also just said that what he accomplished and his report card in four years is a good one. What role do you see yourself playing? Continuing to speak out about those things. Listen, what happened to the president after the election was he became obsessed with himself rather than with the country. And when he was focused on the country— Many of the policies, if not most of the policies that he pursued, were good for America. We need to focus on that. So what I continue to try to be is a voice of honesty that says, yes, he made mistakes. Yes, of course he did. Nobody is perfect. He made mistakes, and those mistakes were personal ones. But the policies that he pursued for this country, um, in the main, Mm -hmm. were really, really positive for the country, built a great economy, made sure that we were more respected around the world, stood up um, for our interests around the world, and made sure that people were were paying their fair share to the defense of the world. A lot of really positive, great things, the peace in the Middle East. We could go on and on, Brian. Those are the things we need to be fighting for. And if President Trump would work hard to— you know, butchers up his legacy rather than put together, um, you know, an enemies list um, that are made up of all Republicans, by the way. We, we got to get <laughs> off of that. I know, but will you call him? Sure. Of course I will. And President and I have been friends for 20 years. But he's mad at you now, probably, because you've been very critical well, of him. Well, of course. But you know what, Brian? What I've learned over the years, over 20 years of friendship is – there are, if you don't always say everything absolutely the way Donald Trump wants you to, he gets mad. But let's let's remember this. What did we read in the paper yesterday? That Brad Parscale was down there meeting with yeah. the president. Right? So Brad Parscale was fired six months ago, right? And Steve was, Bannon, and, too. And was in, yeah. Right? All, all kinds of trouble. What I've learned about Donald Trump over these 20 years is that he gets angry, but he gets over it. And And – What he respects the most and why I've been able to maintain this friendship for 20 years is whether he likes it or not, he respects people who tell him the truth and stand up. 
And I've always been that type of person with him. I'm going to continue to be because, right. by the way, that's what our party needs. That's what our country needs, Brian. Governor Christie, not subtle. Is that You're not going to take that personal if I say that, right? Let me tell you, I, I wear it as a badge of <laughs> honor, Brian. I know you do. Uh, somebody else you know quite well, you call him Andrew. Uh, we call him uh, Governor Cuomo or the absolute monarch of our state who has never done anything wrong. He asked himself every day. He asked himself his own question in his press conference. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you might want to try it. You might, he asked himself, he does his whole press conference asking himself questions that he wants to answer. And he never stumped. It's amazing. Um, he is in the middle of, he's in the middle of his biggest scandal by far. He gets caught. His aide talking to other Democrats on a Zoom call said, we were frozen because we were concerned when those numbers got out, President Trump was going to accuse us of killing everyone in nursing homes. So here's what he said. Governor Cuomo says, okay, I'll be honest. This is my big mistake. Cut 18. The void in information that we created started misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories, and now people have to hear that. And they don't know what is the truth. The truth is everybody did everything they could. Good. Case closed. So glad we answered that. So the problem was he didn't tell anyone the truth. And that's the truth. Listen, honesty is the best policy when you're in public office all the time, even though you know, mistakes are made at times and, and things get difficult for you. Um, because you can't control everything that everybody who works for you does or uh, you yeah. can't control everything, right? So, but, but it's always honesty is the best policy. And I think that what people need to learn in public life is that you know, the public will be very forgiving – if they feel like you're telling them the truth and you're squaring with them, and I'm going to be very interested to watch what happens now in the coming days because I think that is absolutely – it's an absolute truth in public life. Even though we seem to never learn it, it is an absolute truth, and I think it should govern everything. And let me tell you, same things are happening here in New Jersey, um, Brian, as you know. Um, we've had so – we had, you know, probably percentage-wise – um, as many nursing home deaths as they had in New York because we pursued the same policy. What we need is our public leaders to be smart, to learn from their mistakes, and to own up to those mistakes. And, um, you know, I think that's a truism that uh, is a truism because uh, it's what the people want. Right. Um, nine New York Democrats uh, are looking to nail Governor Cuomo with obstruction of justice uh, in a letter seeking support to strip him of the COVID-19 emergency powers we know it's a total Democratic state. Will they be successful? Do you see vulnerability here? He's refused to apologize. Well, I think he's going to have some decisions to make, obviously. That's what I mean in the next couple of weeks about what he wants to do. I, I do think, though, that it's very easy for people in the legislature to throw shots at governors because um, the people in the legislature generally don't have to make any decisions that they're ever held accountable for, Brian. So it's easy for them to take shots. I'm, uh, what, what I'm looking at is how do you react to a crisis? Okay, and that's the true measure of leadership, right? It, it's how you react to a crisis yep. that people really judge you on. And so now, you know, the governor has a crisis. Now we're going to see how he reacts to it. Um, and that's going to determine his future much more than nine Democrats in the legislature. I would say so far not reacting strongly, and he's offended that people actually think he should apologize. 
Uh, Governor, uh, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. Look forward to you coming on and telling me you talked to the president, because if anyone could bring him and Mitch McConnell together, it might just be the former governor of New Jersey. I'm going to do my best, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm happy to be with you anytime you ask. And remember, pitchers and catchers report today. The Port St. Lucie, the Mets season begins. Right. You're always about catchers because you were a catcher in high school. You're always talking about catchers. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) All right. uh, Governor Christie, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Have a great day. You got it. Hey, when we come back, your calls, and then we got another special guest at the bottom of the hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Is there anything that you personally apologize for in this whole process? Apologize? Look, I have said repeatedly, we made a mistake in creating the void. When we didn't provide information, it allowed press, people, cynics, politicians... To fill the void. Unbelievable. That's, (laughs) I had the answers. I just left the void out. Among the people that don't want to tolerate this, this is New York State Assemblyman Democrat Ron Kim. Cut 22. It took us almost two months before the governor decided to change. In fact, in a month later at a press conference, he said he didn't know about it. He lied. Just That's like he's right. lying right now to today's press conference about sending notices to the Assembly and Senate that we knew about the Department of Justice investigation. Uh, we were not informed. Uh, we were not it, told there was an investigation. You make a great point. Rob, real quick on the Fox News Radio app. Rob, you're not buying this, are you? Not at all. I'm here now. Go ahead. No, not at all. Because if he was, if he wasn't guilty, he would have deleted the executive order that he had put online about putting those people in nursing homes. It's gone from the website. Nobody asked him that, though. But when people I mean, ask him, you know what he over. says? I was going by federal guidelines. That's what Donald Trump's administration told him to do, which is not true either. Then why delete the executive order? Of course. I mean, think about it. I just said to your uh, the guy answering the phones, Peter. they tried to lock up Governor Christie for shutting a few lanes on the highway, and uh, he's got to go to jail 20 years. But Cuomo can delete executive orders, cover this up, hide, and these people give him softball questions all day long. It's amazing. So he asked himself his own questions. It's fascinating. Uh, thanks, Rob. We're not buying it. Uh, and Democrats, nine separate Democrats, they're not buying it either. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy such as uh, natural gas and oil uh, and nuclear as as well as uh, solar and wind Uh, but you saw from what trace said uh, and that is our wind and our solar got shut down and and they were uh, collectively more than 10 percent 
of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis uh, that was power that was spread out by that ERCOT organization that you were talking about. As a result, uh, it just shows uh, that fossil fuel is necessary uh, for the state of Texas as well as other states to make sure that we were, will be able to heat our homes in the wintertime and cool our homes in the summertime. Almost the entire state of Texas is a frozen tundra, maybe the first time in, in many people's lifetime, maybe mine. Uh, and uh, they're going through tough times now, and a lot of people are losing electricity, obviously losing heat. Uh, joining us now to discuss that is Texan. He's in charge of the uh, Texas GOP right now. Uh, but he's proud, a proud Texan, but he's actually a cold Texan, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian, and uh, thanks for talking about this very important issue for us here in Texas. Do you have heat? Do you have electricity? Yeah, fortunately, I've been one of those that does have uh, never lost power. But uh, our youngest daughter, who lives down in uh, South Dallas, she's also about six months pregnant. Uh, She has not had heat since Monday morning, so we brought her back into our house up here. And I have a cousin uh, down in San Antonio who does not have heat. He's got two young girls, and he was trying to find a hotel last night, and uh, I haven't heard from him, uh, probably because his phone is dead. But all the hotels are are booked up and everything. This is a serious issue, and everyone saw this coming. So I don't understand why we are in this situation. Uh, And very interesting to me is that the uh, last week, Governor Abbott received a Win Energy Leadership Award from a a lobbyist group, Tri Global Energy. So we knew that this weather was coming. We know that we have had in the uh, last, I'd say, four years, a a tripling of wind energy distribution here in Texas to the point of now is 23 to 25 percent of our uh, energy distribution. And uh, we did not have a backup. And as well as this earth. Uh, you know, they failed and bungled in not being able to switch over to other sources, oil, coal, gas. I mean, Texas has an abundance of these resources, so we should not be in this position. So what is the problem? They say natural gas is the issue. Getting it through the pipes is the issue as well as there's well, too much they, green technology. I mean, too much is dependent on wind and they're frozen, too, these turbines. Too. Yeah, the, the wind turbine's frozen. That's one thing. And, and like I said, we have increased our wind energy dependence. Texas has, is the largest, uh, you know, producer of wind energy, but we cannot have uh, ourselves, you know, to the point of 23 to 25 percent reliable, relying on this wind energy. And we see what has happened now. And the other thing is that you have had uh, some state legislators, my state senator, Bob Hall, and another, uh, Tony Tenderholt, state representative, who have been talking about infrastructure improvements to our, our electric grid. Texas is on its own electric grid, but they keep getting stonewalled. And if you think about since 2006, Texas has given $19 billion, $19 billion of subsidies to wind energy companies. That money could have been used to make sure that we had a stronger grid system and we did not have any problems or issues with pushing more natural gas through the system. This guy, Alec Epstein, was on last night. I want you to hear this soundbite. He's with the Center for Industrial Progress. Uh, he talks about the same feel you feel, the outrage that you, people in Texas are dealing with this. Cut 32. Everyone should be outraged, and they really need to think this is 2021. We know how to have reliable electricity in cold conditions and snowstorms. People around the world do do it with much worse conditions 
than Texas has. So we have to ask, what's happening? Why is this happening in Texas, but also in my home state of California? Why do we have trouble with reliability? Why are people around the country having shortages? And the reason is, is that policy has shifted toward valuing reliability to not valuing reliability because it's been trying to foist us with a lot of solar and wind. That's the bottom line in Texas. That's the bottom line ever. It's not that the wind turbines froze and that's the problem. The problem is that reliability has been punished and unreliability has been rewarded for decades. You want to dispute that? No, he's absolutely right. And, and to the tune of $19 billion of subsidies have gone to an unreliable source, and that's the wind energy. So he is he is absolutely right. And so I think that we need to go back and, and you know, I understand diversification of our energy portfolio, but you have to be focused on the sources and the resources that are dependable, reliable, and available. And that is not what we get from these renewable sources at this time. Maybe in the future, yes, but for right now, Texas, with this abundance, coal, natural gas, uh, uh, oil, and, you know, maybe we should look at having one or to uh, nuclear plants that could be built here and talk about economic growth, the opportunity and production uh, to help us out. But there's no reason why anyone in the state of Texas should be without power. And we're talking about since Monday morning, uh, 1 or 2 a.m., mm-hmm. people have been without power. And uh, now, from what I understand, you've got cities now that are without running water. That should not be happening in, in, in the United States of America in 2021. I mean, you really got to find out so this doesn't happen again, because if you do get hit, you got to be ready. Any, any leader uh, who wants to be governor there has to solve this. So I want to bring you to something totally different, and it's a study that came out of mm-hmm. Harvard that you wrote about. It's a Harvard study that says that reparations would have reduced COVID-19 deaths in the black community if uh, the federal government had just written a check to the black community for slavery. You say absolutely not. It's the exact wrong message. How do you take on this study? Well, that's that's absurd, Brian. I, I mean, I've had six COVID tests, and, and all of them have been negative. The thing that has most adversely affected the black community is that when you talk about those comorbidities that have uh, really, with, with COVID, has increased that opportunity for death, those things are prevalent in the black community. Type 2 diabetes, heart disease, uh, the obesity uh, issue, high blood pressure. So giving a person a check under some stupidity about their their slavery, first and foremost, it is perpetuating this slave mentality, this soft bigotry of low expectations that continues to come from the left. But it doesn't treat the real issue, and that's a healthier lifestyle. And so six days out of the week, even though I have a heart pacemaker that was uh, implanted in me in 2016, I'm still out there trying to work out. I'm still trying to eat right to make sure that I stay healthy and I'm not susceptible to things like COVID or any other virus or any other disease. So, again, this is about the the, the whole slave mentality, the whole victimization of the black community and trying to use COVID as a means by which we talk about reparations. It's offensive, really, and it's condescending coming from these you know, white liberal elitists from Harvard and other places. So it is a slave mentality that where you say by accepting that check and, and saying reparations would have solved it, it's the wrong mentality. What do you mean by that? It's the wrong mentality because, okay, in, in 2021, okay, I was born 60 years ago in a blacks-only hospital. I'm not a slave. I'm not a victim. 
you know, white America does not owe me anything. What I have had in the United States of America was an equality of opportunity to become a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, command a battalion in combat, to be a member of the United States House of Representatives, and now be the chairman of the largest state Republican Party in the country. That did not come because someone gave me a reparations check. It came because of the opportunities that this country affords me, and that's what my parents taught me. And so I, I don't I don't buy into this this novel idea that we have to continue to perpetuate this slave mentality in this country. And that's why I hate this 1619 project that talks about America was established when the first slave ship arrived. That completely negates the history of this country, and it completely negates Christmas Attucks. The black man who was killed at the Boston Massacre uh, standing up for the freedom and liberties of this country before we even became a country. People forget that. So I want to ask him, since it's Black History Month, these documentaries are out talking about life in America in 1910 when they said, you know, you're going to live here and you're you're not going to vote and there are going to be intimidations and you got to sit in the back of buses. You'll not be able to go into this restaurant. You'll not be able to sit at the counter. Would would Colonel West in if he was you were born in 1910, would you be fighting against that or how would you approach that when these blatant signs of racism were there, especially in the South, mostly perpetuated by Democratic uh, lawmakers? Yeah, that's the first thing we need to understand. That's the history of the Democrat Party. They are the ones that have been the purveyors of systemic racism. But the other thing is I would just recommend to everyone that is listening to your show right now, pick up the book Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington and read that book because that's why he's my ideological mentor, a young man born into slavery. When he became free, he only wanted one thing, a good quality education. He pretty much so walked from present-day West Virginia over to Hampton, Virginia, to get that education. And when he was given the mission, the task, to establish the first uh, institution of higher learning for blacks in the South, Tuskegee Institute, now Tuskegee University, he accepted that. And Tuskegee University still stands today. That's who gave us Tuskegee Airmen. And so what he talked about was education, entrepreneurship, and self-reliance. Those are conservative values. And so that's how I would have sought to live my life back then, following the uh, the mantra and the model of Booker T. Washington. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. So everyone needs to read Up From Slavery uh, before Black History Month is over. And really, you should read it every month of the year. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. And I know we discussed this before in the show. But it was, okay, this is the way it is. This is how I'm going to overcome it. This is my vision. I'm going to have an education. He slept in between cracks in the sidewalk to get shelter yes. in order to show up every day and ask this uh, school to accept him in. And uh, he would not, he was in the coal mines. He was discern, determined to have a better life than that. He remembers uh, soldiers walking into his house saying, you're now free. Uh, so mm-hmm. he was a slave. He got his freedom. Then they thought, uh-oh, where do I go from here? This is all I've known. Then they walk back into the house and go, can I still stay uh, to the white plantation owners? And then later they make their way up north. Uh, they'd all find different jobs. And one of the jobs that yeah. he chose to take was, was this one, this older woman, and nobody wanted to work for her. But he said, I'll work for her, even though she was a, a taskmaster. She taught him to clean and be conscientious, and, and they just really respected each other. But what he learned from her when he actually went to that school to try to impress them, they needed to get in is they said, okay, go clean that classroom and clean the other classroom. And he learned to clean so well from the woman mm-hmm. that hired him, this taskmaster, 
that she was able to use that. They said, who helped you? Nobody helped me. Then they realized this kid's for real. And that kid ended up getting the recommendation when he became a teacher, sent for his brother to go to Tuskegee to take over that school. But when he got there, it was just one room. There was no school. He had to build they it, raise money from, from nothing, from white people. He was knocking on yeah. doors, raising money. And so did Booker T. Washington ask for a reparation check? Nope. That's my point. That's the lesson of this story. And that's why all of these, you know, Black Lives Matter and this whole thing about this white scale, whiteness scale that now white people are supposed to uh, evaluate themselves on that's being taught up there in New York and probably will get to other places. This is foolishness. And so, again, we need to read that book, Up From Slavery. And what you just, you know, quickly gave a summary of, that's an American story. That's not a black story, white story, Hispanic or, or Asian. That's an American story. And that's what we need to elevate, not just like I said in this month, but every month. So keep in mind when he lived, too, is that one of his goals was to have a president of the United States speak at his commencement address or speak at his college. And he was determined to do it. And when he finally got into William McKinley, he's told him, listen, this is going to help you politically, too. Come down and speak to my school. He accomplished almost every goal. But there's a lot of people who don't want Booker T. Washington's life out there. They don't want this book known. That's not the person they subscribe to, which is unbelievable to me. One of the most finest Americans ever. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is that it was it's that W.E.B. Du Bois uh, mantra that uh, people would rather be followed. And, of course, if you go back, many people denigrate and, and demean Booker T. Washington. You know, that's where the whole Uncle Tom thing came about and sellout and, and all of these other things because he talked about bettering yourself, making yourself productive so that people could come to you and, and they would want your talent. They would want your skills, not just sit out and be a radical and complain and, and you know, protest all the time. Show your value within your community and so that other communities would want to be a part of it. And that's why you saw such incredible success early on with black entrepreneurship. You think about, you know, Little Black Wall Street out in Tulsa. You think about where I grew up in Atlanta, Sweet Auburn, and all the small businesses that were there. Citizens Trust Bank, a black-owned bank when I grew up, and, and some of the other things. And what has happened now, a lot of those things have been lost because all of a sudden we got told that we were, we were victims. And, and now we need reparation checks uh, uh, and that would have helped us to, to get over COVID. So that that strong message is what the message should be in the black community, not just, like I say, in a black history month, but every single month. But yet, what do we see happen? Black Lives Matter are the ones that are being talked about in uh, right. in the black community. And what does Marxism have to do with the black community? Nothing. should be nothing. Um, but my last point to this, uh, the takeaway is even though racism was rampant and people grew up thinking that blacks were less than whites genetically or whatever they thought in that society, he wouldn't hear of it. And in the Tuskegee school, you not only had to go to school, you had to learn a skill. And one thing he decided yeah. to do is get a kiln, and he made bricks, and he made the best yeah. bricks around. And then instead of buying the bricks, he sold the bricks. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. the Tuskegee school became valuable. They built carriages. They said, they just, hey, guys, you want to use this carriage to bring your stuff around? We're donating it from the school. He changed minds by actions, uh, and I was just in awe of that book. So it's up from slavery. If everyone wants to read it, it's it's a it's a must read. Uh, Colonel West, thanks so yeah. much. Stay, uh, do the best you can. Stay warm. Hope this ends soon for you guys in Texas. We're praying so. Thank you, Brian. Go get it. Back in a moment with your calls. Educating. 
Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call 833-600-GOLD to secure your retirement. All right, so here we go. More to know stories, not necessarily in the headlines. This is great news. Five-year-old girl. Remember that young girl that was hit by uh, Britt Reed, coach with the Chiefs, now ex-coach? She has woken up after two weeks uh, in a coma. She was hit by uh, Britt uh, Reed uh, inadvertently, obviously. Evidently, he told the cops he had three drinks and he was on Adderall. Hopefully, she has a quick recovery. Next, former Chargers quarterback Ryan Leaf slams the league after the death of Vincent Jackson. The NFL doesn't care, he said. Let's listen. My NFL brothers continue to die. Nobody's doing a thing about it. I talked to another brother. He spent the weekend in a psych ward. The NFL just doesn't care. They'll write condolence letters and like that. But if they were invested, they'd actually put some money behind the Legends community and into the mental health and substance abuse side of it. Once you're bad for the brand... The shield they could give two. They don't get how. All right, we'll see about that. They raised some money aside. Of course, he's one of the biggest busts in the history of the NFL. He was drafted uh, in the same draft as uh, Peyton Manning, uh, and he failed miserably. Next, Britney Spears, one-time songwriter, says the pop star is treated like a toddler who has no rights with the conservatorship. Uh, Claude Kelly is 40. He's the guy that we're talking about. Uh, so that big documentary came out. The New York Times put it out. Another one's coming out. She deserves control of her money. Come on. Next. Bachelor host Chris Harrison's Cress ads being reconsidered by the company. You know, he had some problems. So he's now off that show uh, hosting Bachelor, Bachelorette uh, for at least one season. And now because he's uh, advertising Crest, all because he made a statement of wokeism is taking over the world. It's not like 2018. What was good in 2018 is no longer good in 2020. I don't think he made a big error, but he's paying a huge price for it. Where is the network standing by him? Guy does a great job, lives an exemplary life. Uh, It's unbelievable how everyone's just waiting on everybody to get canceled. He also moved to Texas because he was tired of a lot of this Hollywood stuff, reportedly. I'm Brian Kilmeade. That's more to know. Hope you liked it. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, heard in New York, of course, coming from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Martha McCallum's going to join us this hour. I'll give you a chance to talk. You must have a lot on your mind, especially if you're part of the 70% of the country covered by ice, like a frozen tundra. All of Texas, too. Really sad how many people have lost their power. Uh, it's part of the controversy we're looking at now. one 408 7669 In terms of Washington, what's going to be happening? Uh, the State Department uh, will have their briefing today. Uh, we also know that they're going to have, and keep your eye on this, 
Mars 2020 Perseverance Proof of Ancient Life and Mars Sample Return. So they're going to talk about life that may have existed on Mars from what they know, how we're going to get there, and they're going to talk about the Mars mission. Seems like Democrats have no interest after, ever since JFK of really spending on space. But guess who is? The UAE is spending on space. The EU is spending on space. And China. They're looking to buy half the moon. Uh, and I'm not kidding. Uh, this So far, in terms of the Earth, an Arctic blast has slammed us. large swath of the country is uh, under, uh, under ice. And in Texas, uh, a lot of people are uh, really have – some people have to go out and live in their cars. They've lost their heat. They've lost electricity. Uh, it's pretty bad. Some people have lost their lives. A second storm is going to be taking shape on Tuesday. So hang tough, America. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The key here is to have a diverse energy sources. But the most important thing to have is a base load that you can count on. That's going to be natural gas, that's going to be coal, and that is going to be nuclear. Uh, That is Governor Perry, Secretary of Energy and former Governor of Texas. Green goals killing jobs, people, and the economy. Case in point, South Dakota, the pipeline has really hurt tens of thousands of people and frozen over Texas, perhaps. Number two. So when do you think that would be K through eight, at I least think we'll five be, days a week? I think we'll be close to that at the end of the first hundred days. We'd have a significant percentage of them being able to be opened. My my guess is they're going to probably be pushing to open all for all summer to continue like it's a different semester. Uh, parents, not party politics, fuel the push for one thing. Reopening schools, and Joe Biden calls at the White House for miscommunicating his own back-to-school goals. The state of the quest to save our students next. Number one. Mitch McConnell working with Donald Trump did a hell of a job. They're now at each other's throat. I'm more worried about 2022 than I've ever been. I don't want to eat our own. My beef is that we need to knock this off. Trump obsession. Over a month since he left office, the Dems keep boarding the Trump train to degrade him and distract from the 46th president. This is 45 takes aim at his party critics, which is bad news for the success-minded Republicans. A House divider will lose elections. So uh, there's no question. I mean, they were poised to take back the House. What don't they like about getting rid of Nancy Pelosi? What don't they like about having minority leader Chuck Schumer? Well, right now you have the president of the United States just teeing off on the Second most powerful Republican in the House, and he is an artist when it comes to legislation. Uh, But the president just taking no prisoners and going after him. Richard Burr voted for the president to be impeached. He's got censored by his state. Bill Cassidy censured by Louisiana. Pat Toomey might be censured by the party in Pennsylvania. Many of the 10 Republican House members who voted to impeach Trump, the biggest one, Liz Cheney, uh, they're facing some backlash now. Then the president opened up fire on Mitch McConnell, saying, among other things, McConnell, uh, his numbers are lower than ever. He's destroying the Republican side of the Senate and doing so seriously hurting our country. Likewise, McConnell has no credibility on China because his family's substantial Chinese business uh, holdings. He does nothing on this tremendous economic and military threat. Mitch is a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack. And if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again. That is not going to bring the country together. Neither, uh, that did not, uh, and it really worries Lindsey Graham, cut to. 
Mitch McConnell working with Donald Trump did a hell of a job. They're now at each other's throat. I'm more worried about 2022 than I've ever been. I don't want to eat our own. President Trump is the most consequential Republican in the party. If Mitch McConnell doesn't understand that, he's missing a lot. But my beef is not with Mitch McConnell because he has the same policy views I do. My beef is that we need to knock this off. Yeah, well, it is. It's uh, two behemoths going at it. And Democrats are going to continue to foster the Trump stuff. Yesterday, they were talking about civil lawsuit by Benny Thompson. He's going to sue because his life was in danger and said race is involved in it. The Proud Boys, Oath Keepers and the president and Rudy Giuliani are all being sued. In response, Jason Miller wrote this. President Trump has been acquitted in the Democrats' latest impeachment witch hunt and the facts are irrefutable. Trump did not plan, produce or organize the June 6th rally. Is he in trouble? We'll talk to different attorneys about that, but he's got his hands full already in New York with the AG, them looking at his businesses. Now he's got to worry about civilian lawsuits over speeches he made as president of the United States. Unbelievable what this is coming to. Lindsey Graham went on. Cut, cut three. As to President Trump, in that poll, you own the Republican Party, my friend, but 55% of the people wanted you impeached and removed. You are the hope of the future of conservatism, President Trump, but we've got to make some changes to get back the White House in 2024 and have a Republican majority and the Senate and the House in 2022. I believe the Democrats are doing all they can to help us. We just need to help ourselves. Right. And sadly, it's hurting the country. That's how they're helping it. But the, the hottest Republican right now is Governor Ron DeSantis. You could tell because Democrats are going after him every way, shape and form. He opened up his state. There are cases here. Absolutely. There are people acting irresponsible. Of course they are. But because people are allowed to live their lives, go to school, go to work, play sports, there's a sense of normalcy here. Per capita, they're like 24th or 25th in terms of cases. As a country, we have dropped 60 percent. In over the last two weeks, and I think deaths are down 35%. So we're getting a hold of this thing between the vaccine distribution. Now they say it's at 1.6 million a day. It was at 900,000 or a million when President Trump left. So we're getting better at this. We're getting more vaccines on this. But when it comes to a, a candidate that can lead, Trump is the most popular Republican, but not the most popular American. He's got to find a way to say, hey, moderates, man, I disagree with you here, but I want you here. Hey, women, I want you to make sure that these suburban women understand what the issue was last time, why they left him, and why he's going to get back in. And if he decides at 78, he doesn't want to do this again, he's got to find a way to make this a bigger tent. Or they, I don't care about the Republicans. The country's screwed. General David Petraeus and I had a, I had a chance to interview him before this pandemic uh, in Atlanta in 2019. Listen to what he said about... The primaries, cut six. By and large, there has been such hyper-partisanship that it's been very difficult to accomplish what the bulk of Americans would actually like to see accomplished. Why is that? It's because we have had gerrymandering, where a red district is made bright red, a blue district is made bright blue. We have party primaries, not open primaries. And in a party primary, only a fifth to a quarter of the, of the party actually votes. They are the activists. And that's where the, the election is determined. And, of course, in those primaries, the, if you're a Republican, you're going to get outflanked on the right. If you're a Democrat, you're going to get outflanked on the left. Um, so we, sh- we should very strongly uh, consider undoing uh, gerrymandering. We should consider open primaries. Well, I just see open primaries going to be a lot of, uh, you know, the Republicans and Democrats just trying to vote for the weakest candidate so they can win. 
these people aren't going to go out there. But they do say, you know, you get extremists on both sides, and that's why these people get elected uh, and get the nomination. And maybe it's not the best person. Now, in the case of the Democratic Party, they basically picked him because they panicked because Bernie Sanders almost won. For Republicans, how are you going to you going to deny uh, Donald Trump? I don't know. But uh, but Donald Trump has to realize the stuff he didn't do is the reason why they lost Georgia. And for some reason, Mitch McConnell had no coherent plan for Purdue or Loeffler. And that's why we're paying the price of the country right now. one 408 7669 When we come back, I'll be joined by Martha McCallum. We'll talk more about this infighting and getting these kids back to school. Philadelphia, their mayor says, I vote to not reprimand teachers for not going back to school. Even the superintendent said they should. Everything's been done. These kids got to get back. And I'll lead with the miscommunication that Joe Biden said his own communication team did in describing his goals when it comes to schools. Really? Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. His goal that he set is to have the majority of schools, so more than 50%, open uh, by day 100 uh, of his presidency. And that means uh, some teaching in classrooms. So at least one day a week, hopefully it's more. (laughs) One day a week. So for three days, this was the debate. What a disaster. How misleading he was from his campaign till today. And then last night in a town hall, the same question came up. And listen who he blames. Your administration had set a goal to open the majority of schools in your first 100 days. You're now saying that means those schools may only be open for at least one day a week. No, that's not true. That's what was reported. Uh That's not true. It was a mistake in the communication. What what I'm talking about is I said opening the majority of schools in K through 8th grade. Really? Well, if it didn't come up in the press conference, Mr. President, maybe you might want to tell Jen Psaki after her press conference, and she would put out a statement to clarify, as opposed to hoping Anderson Cooper brings it up. Martha McCallum would love to talk about back to schools. All I said was hello to her last week and let her go on this, and she made so much sense. <laughs> uh, uh, so, Martha, can you believe this? Not a, okay, no big deal. Communi- miscommunication, major thing. That should have been corrected in 20 minutes when she left the podium. Why did it take a friendly question in a town hall to straighten it out? Yeah, I mean, he said, uh, President Biden, hi, Brian, by the way, great to be with you. Um, he said it was a mistake in the communication. Uh, you know, what what I'm seeing here is that the message is evolving from the White House. They are starting to get the message that families across the country, and I realize that there are some families who are not comfortable with returning to school, and there have to be options. But if you and your family want your child to go to school, they have to be able to get into that classroom. These schools have had plenty of time to ventilate, to fix things. They've been given millions and billions of dollars nationwide to do just that. And the expectation is that they will do their job. So the city needs to do its job in making sure that things are ready. The time clock has run out on that. And 
the teachers need to do their job in showing up for work. And I, I think push is going to start coming to shove here. But it's very clear to me from what the president said last night that the message is starting to get through to the White House, that this is not a politically expedient message for them. One day a week is not going to work. Kids need to be back in school. It's hurting their health in many ways, as well as the obvious deficit for their, their education, which hurts the whole country. Right. And we're just seeing this big division. Are you for the student or for the unions? That's what it is. Because the parents are for the student and the kid, their own kids and other kids, whether they're grandkids or their kids are old, you could totally relate if you're a parent. Can you imagine what it's like if your kid was just regressing before your eyes and asked to go to school and he couldn't or she couldn't? Did you see these headlines in the New York Times about this very topic? Republicans seize on shuttered schools as a political cry. Really? Politics? Politico. GOP tries to weaponize pandemic. Exhausted parents against by uh, exhausted parents against Biden. No, they're not. They're addressing an issue that he can't handle. Why do they see politics in everything? You know, I, I can't stop. I can't help but think that this would be such a bold move for President Biden, right? And he would need to stand up to the teachers' unions. And I think back to Ronald Reagan standing up to the air traffic controllers. Now, it was structurally a different situation because they had federal control. The, the federal government had control over the air traffic controllers and the ability to fire them. In this case, you know, firing teachers is one of the hardest things that you can do. Now, I, I feel like I shouldn't even have to say this, but I think I hope everyone recognizes that most people really respect our teachers in this country, that they work hard. I, as I've said many times, I come from a long line of teachers, my sister, my mother, my grandmother, all teachers, okay? One, some of the hardest working people that you'll ever meet and the most dedicated to children, dedicated to the children that they serve and realizing that nobody becomes a teacher to, you know, make a million dollars. People become teachers because they love children and they care about the future of the country and they know how important their role is. So we know that it's not working. Remote learning has been proven to be a failure. We've heard that from everyone from the mayor of Chicago uh, to parents across this nation. So, you know, we need to have the spine to stand up and say, look, if you have a specific health ailment, then you, you have to teach from home. Okay, but the majority, the vast majority of teachers are in an age group that is not presented, uh, d- does not have a, a large threat. And the children we know are not big transmitters of this through all of the studies that have been done. So you either have to find another line of work or you've got to show up for work on Monday, Philadelphia teachers. I mean, that, that was the agreement. So make your choice. Yeah, I mean, Philadelphia in particular, they voted to get these uh, teachers back to school and the superintendent says, if you don't, you're going to be fine or reprimanded. But listen to what the mayor, Jim Kenney, said. Cut 18. I don't want to see anybody disciplined. I want to get kids back in the classroom. I want teachers to go back in the classroom. But again, I don't want to, to do this in a punitive way. We can't have it both ways. I mean, if you're not going to enforce getting teachers back to school, but if you're 66 years old and coming off kidney surgery, you're different. Of course Maybe you, are. you get a teacher's assistant in there. Maybe you monitor from Zoom at home. Right. I know a lot of teachers, they Zoom at home because they've been contact traced. So they Absolutely. feel fine, Look, we've but become, they're still engaged. Yeah, we, we've become an incredibly flexible society. I mean, I'm amazed at how much we have been able to pull off over the course of the past year. But you do have to look at it as, you know, sort of the cost and the benefit of what's going on. You have children committing suicide. We have children who are autistic who have slipped back 
several years in their ability to read. We have children who are suffering from not being able to play sports and get out and be with other kids. So there, there is a way forward. We've seen it happen. I mean, I don't know if you, if you're, if you're saying you can't go back to school, how do you look at the Catholic school down the street and say, you know, well, they can do it, but I, I can't. I mean, I, I can't understand how you can justify that. Also, if you're, you know, a teacher and you go to the grocery store or you go to a restaurant once in a while, uh, how do you justify the fact that you cannot show up for work when it's right. your job and that's what you get paid to do? Um, the decline that we have seen, I think, is going to have an impact on our economy in the future, in, on people's confidence, on the nation's yeah. confidence. You know, you look at uh, Japan, you look at Europe, you know, in many ways they have they've been better at getting back. But you got to have a president who stands up and says, you know what, the lockdown's over, folks. Everybody's going back to work. If you have special circumstances, let us know. We can work something out for you. But by and large, uh, we need to get we need to get we, we got to get this engine moving. Uh, absolutely. And lastly, just on politics, you surprised President Trump blasted Mitch McConnell. Uh, and what do you expect in the next coming weeks, Martha McCallum, from the president as Parler comes back online? So I'm not surprised that he blasted Mitch McConnell. McConnell came after him very hard. Uh, these are two men who are very strong in their beliefs. And, you know, I think you can't, you know, Mitch McConnell's wife was a uh, the labor secretary, transportation secretary, excuse me, under President Trump, she resigned in the days after January 6th. So I, I think this is something that Senator McConnell feels very strongly about. Obviously, he has every right to say how he feels about this. Um, and we don't we I, I think we've just seen the beginning of the dike sort of, you know, breaking from the communication from President Trump. And I think we're going to continue to hear right. a lot more from him in the coming weeks and days. But I, I think he has to be judicious about how he how he handles it if he wants to win back some of the people that he lost. Martha's coming up a little bit later this afternoon on television, but next, a little bit more with Martha before she gets sick of me and just says, I'm storming out, I'm leaving the studio, <laughs> and there's nothing you could do to keep me here, kill me. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Impeachment trial. You said you were anxious to see if Republican senators would stand up. Only seven did. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi called the rest cowards. Do you agree with her? McConnell said that the former president is, quote, still liable for everything he did while he was in office. If your Department of Justice wanted to investigate him, would you allow them to proceed? You'd never been in the residence of the White House? Is it different than you expected it to be? There was two themes that came out of the town hall last night with Anderson Cooper. Number one, what a difference. Trump would have loved five minutes of that tone and tenure. Number two, they are obsessed with him. They're obsessed with him as president. They're obsessed with him as a post-president. They cannot drop the ball on Donald Trump. They, are, they think by, by talking about 45, it's good for their ratings and it's good for the country because we're not paying attention to what 46 is doing. Martha McCallum is going to be hosting the story at 3 o'clock today. Before that, she is stopping in with us. Martha, can you believe the obsession with Trump? I understand January 6th and, and the impeachment. I get it. But here we are three days past this where we have so many things, including 70% of the country covered in ice. 
and they're obsessed with him. Is this going to stop? Probably not. Um, and I think, you know, we're starting to see the reemergence of President Trump uh, with the statement that he put out yesterday. I think the silence from him has been something that has uh, sort of put a lot of uh, people in cable news sort of thinking, hmm, OK, so it's time to shift back to sort of a news cycle where you are covering uh, some of these stories like what's happening in Texas, which is just catastrophic, um, rather than 100 percent focus on the White House all the time. So I think there is a need to fill that void. And I think think that, you know, for a long time, a, a number of networks um, bashing President Trump 24-7. Uh, so they're, they're going through a little bit of withdrawal on that, and they love to get that nibble that they got in that statement. Uh, I think it's just going to be really interesting, Brian, to see how this plays out over time and how President Trump um, sort of weathers the next six months to a year, uh, and we get a better sense of what kind of role he wants to play. And I think it's going to be very, very, very tough time for the GOP. There's no doubt about it. Figuring out, you know, who they are as they go forward. And you see the people sort of picking their sides. And, and I, I'm fascinated by it. We're actually having a couple of Trump supporters who we had on throughout the course of the election and talked to, that, talked to them at different junctures about what they thought about the campaign and everything. And uh, we're going to have them on today and see what their thoughts are mm-hmm. now, that, um, now that the president is not the president anymore and what they think about the future. Well, I could not believe uh, – if you look at what happened, Richard Burr and Bill Cassidy both got censured by their state parties. Yeah. Uh, we know the same thing. Patrick Toomey's about to get it in Pennsylvania. Ten and in Republic- Utah, Romney, for the reverse reason. What, what was that for? And it, I, didn't, Rom- I missed that. He also got pushed back, um, Mitt Romney, for, for you know, voting to, uh, to convict President Trump. Right. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, the people of Utah, Mitt Romney's just on his own. Uh, now, I know the president yeah. didn't get the normal support Republicans get in Utah – but Mitt Romney is is totally not doing what the people of Utah want him to do. He is basically just getting back at Donald Trump. Uh, but here here's the thing. Um, also, Liz Cheney is on one side. Mitch McConnell's on another side. We expect things to happen with Ben Sass now and uh, and Mitt Romney. They're both very conservative. We hear, but let's see if they can patch things up because and retire Nancy Pelosi in the House and take back the Senate. The question is. Does anyone understand the goal of the game is to win? That's what Lindsey Graham said. Cut to. Mitch McConnell working with Donald Trump did a hell of a job. They're now at each other's throat. I'm more worried about 2022 than I've ever been. I don't want to eat our own. President Trump is the most consequential Republican in the party. If Mitch McConnell doesn't understand that, he's missing a lot. But my beef is not with Mitch McConnell because he has the same policy views I do. My beef is that we need to knock this off. What do you think, Martha? Where's the way out of here? Donald Trump, as Chris Christie brought up last hour, he goes, you know, you have fights, but, you know, he can get over it. Brad Parscale was in, at Mar-a-Lago yesterday. He got fired. The president never even talked to him. They're talking now. And then you have Steve Bannon. He, wrote, he gave quotes just disparaging Donald Trump, the candidate and president. He got, a, he got himself a pardon and was advising the president at the end. So can you game plan this for me, how you see it going? You know, I, I think it's I think it's very tough. You know, I, I talked to voters who were Trump supporters and some of them obviously want him to continue to play a very big role. A lot of them want him to run again. And I think you're right. I think that he has the ability to sort of bring people back into the fold. I think also when you're not president anymore, there's not a lot of people in your fold. Uh, it gets a lot smaller. So reaching out to some old friends is not a, a surprising move on his part. I think Brad Parscale, who I spoke with, um, you know, 
who I have spoken with about this and sat down with a few months ago, um, was very hurt by the way that he was treated by um, by President Trump in the White House. But, um, you know, now finds himself in a position where he can help him out from Florida a little bit. So, uh, you know, but the one, number one thing that I hear from from women voters, actually, is that they they don't like what happened with with Vice President Pence. And that's it's a big issue. And so the president has, you know, his own blame to take for what what he said and did on January 6th. And I think that the Mike Pence issue is very difficult for a lot of people, especially a lot of people who, you know, live in Mitch McConnell's world inside the Beltway uh, and who like Mike Pence and respect him and, you know, saw what, you know, how loyal he was over the course of all those years. So that would go a long way, I think, if that relationship could be repaired and there could be some forgiveness there. I think that would help to mend some of those fences. But yeah, I mean, it's just an enormous identity crisis for the Republican Party. And I don't see how, you know, without a huge, they, they need sort of someone to be that new, you know, Reagan figure, that new face who can sort of adopt a lot of the policies that President yeah. Trump drove and and create a new future. It's a tall, tall order. Listen, when and I'm not saying this in a partisan perspective, but it's a fact. Democrats did not have a star. And, no, and they didn't. They thought they had a not. mayor from South Bend. No way. Flamed out. Kamala Harris could not even get to the first primary after a great opening day speech. They desperately grabbed Biden because they feared that Senator uh, Bernie Sanders was going to be the nominee. And they were probably right. But on the Republican side, Martha, you know, these people, you talk to them every day. You got Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo. You have nobody's hotter right now than Governor Ron DeSantis. That's right. I mean, the Marco Rubio look was always going to be a Look at Christy Nome. Look at Nikki Haley. Uh, I mean, there huge. are a lot of people across this country who, Ben Cren- uh, Dan Crenshaw, who could, you know, sort of step into that role. And it's going to be fascinating to see. But, you know, that person is going to have to be really navigate. And I think they are going to have to be someone who aligns a lot with President Trump if he is willing to step aside. And that's question number one, right? Um, whether or not he is willing to step aside. And if he's not, that's going to make it very difficult for a lot of these other candidates. And before I let you go, 100 percent, and if he's – I just don't, don't understand what Nikki Haley was doing. Uh, I know she didn't agree with everything he did, but she was able to keep be very calculated and keep the criticism private. Mm-hmm. But last week saying he let us all down, mm-hmm. January 6th, listen, I think he did. I, not, as America, that was just a bad speech to give in the bad place at the wrong time. And when you scream hang Mike Pence, when your supporters scream hang Mike Pence, you gave the wrong message out. Having said that, why Nikki Haley would put up with all the unorthodox behavior leading up to that and, and wrote a book basically praising the president and the responsibility she got. And the day before the impeachment vote, make that statement is not good politics. It just isn't. Not that I blame her, but just not need for it. If you want to be president, you don't want to tell 45 or you don't want to tell 80 percent of Republicans, the person you support, uh, you no longer support them because you're going to make them make a choice. And you cannot afford to leave a, lose a constituency. Um, just your thought on her timing? I, I think it was a difficult article for her. Um, I think she may have her own views about how some of those things were taken uh, and how they were written into that piece um, in terms of the larger message of it. Uh, I think she's a very attractive person to a lot of Republicans across the country. But, yeah, threading that needle— yeah. With with what we have. But I also think pe- people's memories are short. You know, I mean, as as much as that's so on so many people's minds right now and it was there was some ugly moments uh, that nobody's ever going to forget. 
people have very short memories. So, you know, that's why we like to do this, right? We watch, watch yeah. this whole process play out and see where it goes. It's going to be very interesting path uh, between here and 2022 on the first stop. Did you talk to her by any chance? I interviewed her not that long ago, but I haven't spoken to her post okay. post the article. So Governor Cuomo is getting more. He's got nine separate Democrats who put together a letter who said, basically, you got to come clean on this investigation. You lied. And another one, they're asking to give up his um, his absolute king-like powers that he has in New York State. These are Democrats. But I also thought Governor Cuomo not apologizing, just saying we should have been more uh, forthcoming with stats. Really? You should have told your attorney general before she did the investigation and came to a different conclusion. But when he sat down on Monday, this blew me away when he was asked to explain why COVID positive patients were put back in nursing homes and why that wasn't a big deal. Listen, cut 17. COVID did not get into the nursing homes by people coming from hospitals. COVID got into the nursing homes by staff walking into the nursing home. COVID may have been brought into a nursing home because visitors brought it in and didn't know they were contagious because the guidance was you can only be contagious if you have symptoms. That is total BS. Where did he come up with this? Well, you know what? Here's what I think. There is some truth to the fact that that people probably brought it in from outside who were, you know, with with their families and then going to work every day. But the bottom line is that nobody knows. Right. Nobody knows how it's transmitted. Nobody knows, you know, when someone gets it, they don't Even actually the know where they got it from. But the, the fact that you could look at the return of people who had COVID in hospitals and were sort of on the hopefully on the back end of it or it was trailing off that you you decided to put them into nursing homes with patients who didn't have it. And then you saw a spike. It just belies all common sense to think that there wasn't a factor that exacerbated the problem there. And what I keep going back to is, you know, everyone makes mistakes and we were, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight, but at some point when you realized, you know what, that, that decision is actually not good and people are being harmed by it. Let's start to spread them out. Let's get them into the Javits center. Let's take you or even you know, take the healthy people from the nursing home, put them in the Javits center, get everybody spread out so that you have plenty of room and you don't have people coughing all over each other in these very tight spaces with people who are in the most vulnerable population. Switch gears. Why didn't he, why didn't he ever switch gears? I mean, this is another question that he's never answered. Well, the other thing is that that might be the case. Tell me where the study shows that. Just if just show me. You just can't just sit there and make no. stuff up. Yeah, where's the study that shows that people coming back in positive? Number one, we almost knew we asymptomatic spread was the biggest hurdle and the biggest surprise. I get it, but we knew that almost right away. You cannot have symptoms and you could still spread yes, it. That's right. So, so for him to say in March and in, in April and May. That we didn't know how this spread. Of course we knew it by then. And he knew it too. New York knew it. You know what? There was so much invested in making him a great handler of it by people who wanted to trash President Trump. Right. So and it's so it's so transparent. People are so over this way of, of, of looking at situations where it's like, oh, well, you know, so so President Trump's doing a terrible job. So therefore, Governor Cuomo's doing an amazing job. Right. And the same thing with Newsom. So now you've got a situation, you know, now that President Trump's no longer in office, they're getting scrutiny even from their own parties. Wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a world where that kind of scrutiny existed just because it deserves to exist, just because we do need to look at how these things are being handled by our governments and we need to to be tough on them and hold their hold their feet to the fire on these things, not based on whether or not, you know, it's going to 
be um, a good contrast for your political conversation. Yes, you make so much sense. You should run for office, Martha. Oh, I, I'll get the bumper stickers <laughs> together soon. That's the key. Yeah, you I'm just... sure. That, I'm sure that kind of you know, politics are so much uglier than that. Unfortunately, there's not enough common sense in the world right now. For you, yeah. Yes, if the world gets has, shows a little bit more common sense, can I actually guarantee you you'll run if you see more common sense in the world? <laughs> you want you me get... to be the champion of common sense? Um, you know. I, I don't know. I, I, don't I think, think so. I should keep doing what I'm doing. You're too into seeing your family. <laughs> right. I think, yeah. And we would make, we would not let you out of the contract. I ultimately <laughs> would decide that. And I'm sorry. The story stays. Uh, Martha, thanks so much. Thanks, We're going to watch Brian. it three and everywhere else. You bet. All right. one 866 We're going to come back and wrap things up. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show this hour. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So what we found out is there are certain things that make it rational and easy to go back to the brick-and-mortar building. One, first of all, making sure everybody is wearing protective gear. It's available to students as well as to teachers, the, uh, the, 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 the janitors, the people who work in the cafeteria, the bus drivers. Secondly, Organizing in smaller pods, which means that's why we need more teachers. Instead of a classroom of 30 kids in it, you have three classes in that same of 10 kids each. These are some of the ideas being floated out there, and he's just not taking on the unions to get people back to work, uh, answering the questions that need to be done. And if these teachers came out and said, listen, uh, uh, PS112 is too dangerous to go into. They have not changed the circulation system. Uh, we or there's too many kids in each classroom or uh, these are this is what we're suggesting. We got to lengthen the the day and have two almost like when it's kindergarten, you have a morning morning system and an afternoon system, Monday, Wednesday, Friday system, whatever it is. But they're just staying behind their union representatives. Uh, Sonia listening on WFTL uh, right here, uh, right in Florida. Hey, Sonia. Hi. Yes, I'm a teacher. And yep. I just wanted to point something out. Um, yep. and I, I don't mind being back in school, and I am in, back in school, um, but I think people are misunderstanding what, what, what is being said. Teachers don't mind going back, but why aren't we being put, not just teachers, staff as a whole for the schools, why aren't we being put at the top of the list for vaccinations if schools are to be opened fully? I would we love that. We have to go home to our families. We have to, you know, yep. we have to be with these kids every day. We don't mind, but we want to be given the option of getting the vaccination. Absolutely, no Sonia. Absolutely. Distance. Hopefully this is going to be solved soon. I know it's a state decision, but it will be solved soon, especially if there's underlying conditions, correct? Yeah. And, and again, there's no social distance going on. Don't, don't think that's going on. Our governor may be hot with other people, but in our state he's not because he opened the state without masks or anything. But luckily, at least in my area, people are being responsible wearing their masks and so on. What he should have done is said, okay, I'm going to open up whatever, yeah. but encourage people to use masks and do the things that we know we should be doing. He never did that. So he's not as, as popular here as people think they are. He is, at least not well, in my area. Well, Sonia, I'm not, you know, I'm not there. Uh, so I'm not there every day listening and seeing what he's saying. But I think he does do something very similar. He's like, you guys know the precautions. You know what to do. I'm not going to prevent you from living your life. I'd rather have somebody that maybe doesn't say it enough 
as opposed to someone who says, I can't go to, out to a restaurant, I can't work in a restaurant, I can't go to school, I can't play sports. But I understand if he maybe said it more, he would be hitting on all cylinders. Manuel, you are listening in Virginia. Manuel. Yes. What's in your mind? Brian, it's nice to chat with you. I enjoy your show. Thanks. I've just got one suggestion. I suggest that you urge your listeners to email or write their legislators to pass legislation, no tax credit or incentives for solar panels, wind turbines, electric hydrogen cars, etc., forklifts not manufactured in the U.S., and that includes 90% of the parts. Good job, Manuel. I love that idea. Great idea. Hopefully we'll do it. Find out where it's made. How difficult would that be? Mandate made in USA, and then we'll all be patriotic in our purchases. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.